Today, I talk to Pete Moore, who's been an entrepreneur, an investment banker, and now is a managing partner in a financial advisory firm, Integrity Square. As a Harvard Business graduate, Pete says, there's a class they don't teach at Harvard Business School, which they should, and that's when it's okay to fail. And we end off by talking about his new book, Time to Win Again. You're going to love this conversation. Have a listen. Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives. Today we have a very exciting guest. We have Pete Moore, and he's the managing partner and chief dream architect at ISQ. Pete, I'm so excited to have you here. Well, it's a pleasure to be on, and thank you, Priscilla, for bringing me on the show and for the audience here for taking some nuggets of wisdom of uh, 25 years of being an entrepreneur and a banker in what we call the halo sector, health, active lifestyle, outdoors. As I say from a mentor of mine a long time ago, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. So as you go through starting a company and you make decisions and you see the outcomes of those decisions, you start to learn what's going to work and what isn't going to work and almost be able to predict how the movie will end. I started in investment banking in New York City back in 1994. Worked at Chase Manhattan Bank and then a group called Donaldson, Lufkin and Jenrette. From there, I was uh, blessed and uh, was able to get into Harvard Business School. I was there and graduated in 1999. It was an unseasonably cold winter and I don't like wearing jackets. So I looked for every investment job down in Florida. At the time, there were three investment groups down in Florida, and I decided to move down there at the ripe age of 27, which most people don't do until they're 65. And I moved down to Boca Raton and worked at a private equity group called Brockway Moran and Partners. And I was lucky enough that the day I started working, they had a letter of intent to acquire Gold's Gym International, which is at the time was one of the largest and most well-recognized health and fitness gym brands. And having been a high school athlete and always a team player, I quickly canvassed the room of the 10 professionals that were working at this firm. And I assessed, maybe stereotypically, but I assessed that I was probably the only person that owned a tank top and that had a health club membership at the time. And I raised my hand and I said, hey, can I uh, be on the Gold's Gym deal? And I basically have not left the health and fitness industry since that original transaction that I worked on. My partner has been working with me on our Halo Talks podcast, where we are trying to educate entrepreneurs and small business owners on best practices and how to think about their business decisions and how to grow their companies methodically. And we came up with this term, as you referenced, the chief dream architect. When somebody wants to build a house, they hire an architect and they have all the framework set up and they have all the designs and everything is constructed properly. And in business, you write a business plan, but you also really need to understand all the pieces of the business plan that are going to be important. And as you're building a house, you're picking materials. As you're building a business, you're picking people. And you have to pick those people and add those people sequentially in the right order in order to build a strong company. So given that I run my own company, I can give myself whatever title I want. I decided that on my business card, I'm going to be the chief dream architect. And if that's too exotic or out there for someone, you probably don't want me as your advisor or your conciliary, if you will, um, to your business. So 
We come with a little bit of creativity, a little bit of entrepreneurial flair, and you know, we try and help people develop their businesses into their dream. I like that. I think our audience, which is the early entrepreneur, really understands what you're talking about when you're building your dream. So thank you for sharing the story behind that. Sure. Now, Pete, a lot of people may not be or may be familiar with Halo. So if you can kind of give us the story that kind of led to you coining the term and trademarking the term and really what the sector is all about. Sure. From 2003 until 2015, we would tell people that Integrity Square, our investment banking advisory firm, helps companies in the health and wellness industry. And I'm a person when I don't know where a word came from, I will go to the internet and I'll find the derivation of the word. As an example, the word client, everyone talks about, I've got this client. Where does the word client come from? The word client comes from the Latin derivation of a word that meant to protect someone. So if you have a client, they are under your protection. So when someone uses that term, they should understand that they have an obligation to protect that customer or that client. So when I started looking at the word wellness, it was started by a doctor at the Mayo Clinic. His name was Dr. Halbert Dunn in the 1920s, and he was a biostatistician. He was looking at all the data of people getting sick in the U.S., and he was trying to come up with the antonym of illness. So the antonym of ill is well. So he started the wellness movement. But if you think about the word wellness, it basically means that you're okay, you're normal, you're mediocre, you're not sick. And I had a problem with just keeping people at a, a base level because you've got all these new technologies out. You've got all these passionate entrepreneurs that are building businesses that are making people much better than they were initially. So I went to sleep one night, had a dream, and I was tinkering around with some letters in my head, in my dream. And I said, wow, this, this term HALO stands for Health, Active, Lifestyle, Outdoors, which are basically the four things you need to live an amazing lifestyle, much better than normal or good or well. And it also dovetails into halo, which is create the halo effect. As people start to go through their journey of living a much healthier, cleaner lifestyle, they tell everyone and it becomes part of the ethos of who they are. As an example, if you are a member of Good Life or Extend Bar, and I know those two brands are in Australia, in the US, it might be CrossFit or Orange Theory. If you ask someone, hey, who are you? They will tell you what their fitness routine is as part of one of the three things that are important to them. They might say, I'm married, I'm an athlete, and I'm a CrossFitter, right? So it's top three traits of who they are as a person, right? And how they live their life. They're trying to tell you, this is how I live my life in a disciplined way. And I'm serious about my body. And if I'm serious about my body, I'm serious about my mind. If my mind and my body are serious, then everything I do is at the optimized level. So what we're trying to do, instead of saying, hey, let's like make sure everyone's average weight. Well, let's make sure everyone's has decent cholesterol levels. Let's get the lowest cholesterol levels. Let's get the everyone doing a triathlon. Let's get everyone to jump into whatever sport or activity. And then if you think about how that trickles into every other component of your life, you have more energy, you're happier, you spread more positivity around the world, you have more kindness, um, you participate in more community events. You go take your religion as like your spiritual awakening that basically allows you to optimize who you are. So when you take all that together and you say, okay, if I'm a halo enthusiast, that means the food and beverage that I put in my body is fuel. 
It means the workout recovery products that I use. It means the gym I go to and the people that I surround myself with. So what we're trying to do is take everyone who's an entrepreneur in this passionate sector and have them all operate under an umbrella of the halo sector instead of being, I'm in the health club industry. I'm in the food industry, better for you. I'm in the experiential travel. All of that are people that are living a halo lifestyle. So that's a long answer to your question. Wow. That's a great answer to my question, actually. It's taken it to another level for me because being outside of the industry, I do just kind of think about it the way that you said in bits and pieces and not as one sector trying to help a person thrive. This is a really great term and a really great sector to be in. Yes. Pete, I know from reading your bio that you've been part of an exit. And I know the moment I say the word exit, entrepreneurs, early entrepreneurs, everyone has their ears up. So I said, I got to ask you the story behind your exit. Sure. I'll talk about some of the exits that we've helped for entrepreneurs as an advisor. We specialize in working with entrepreneurs that have grown businesses for 20 to 25 years. And they're at a point where they want to sell the business, make sure their employees are taken care of and sell it to a larger company or, or sell it to an investment group. So when they hire Integrity Square, as I mentioned before, client, someone under your protection, I'm trying to make sure they get the most money. I'm also trying to make sure that they don't sign themselves up for any personal guarantees or things that are in a contract that might come back to bite them uh, later on as, as part of a purchase agreement. And they also need to feel confident that the group that they're selling to if you start a company, you know, that's effectively a child of yours. And you take this company almost a body part, like I'm selling a body part to someone else. It's a very emotional process. The gentleman I used to work for back at Brockway Moran, Peter Brockway, who's a very close friend and investor in Integrity Square, said to me one time, if you build something of value when you want to sell it, someone will pay you for the value that you've created. So entrepreneurs that are listening to this podcast, they might be enamored with valuations at a certain time or people might say, oh, this is a great time to sell your technology company because all these technology companies are trading at valuations that are higher than they've ever been. You need to understand as an entrepreneur what you want your life to be going forward and if it's the right time to exit the business because you are fully immersed in that business. The best entrepreneurs go into a sale process when they have a life change that they want to make and not a financial transaction that they think might optimize their value at a given time. There are a lot of deals that take six months. Some of them take 12 months. So you, you have to be disciplined in order to be able to run your business and also sell your business at the same time. It's basically like taking on two full-time jobs and you are exposing all of your financial information to strangers. You're telling all these strangers that only one of them is going to buy the business. You might send your information out to 50 to 100 people, and it would be like Coca-Cola giving out the ingredients to you know the, the Coca-Cola formula. Or it might be uh, a company that has some kind of, you know we use this term, special sauce, right? So now I'm telling 100 groups, here's my special sauce. And let me tell you if you want to buy my special sauce, and only one person is going to buy it, or maybe no one buys it. So going into a sale process, you really have to be dedicated to want to exit. And in my book, Time to Win Again, one of the takeaways of doing transactions is be realistic of what that exit value is going to be and don't allow the exit 
to not happen because of a 10% differential on what you think you wanted versus what you've gotten. So if you run a process and your company is worth $10 million and you think it's worth 12, take the points, take the 10 million because the 10 million is going to change your life. The $2 million differential after tax will not change your life. And it's exhausting to go through a sale process and not get a sale done because you've just exposed all of your information to potential competitors, to investors, and you're frustrated and your team thinks that a deal didn't get done. Why didn't it get done? Is there something wrong with this company? Is there something wrong with the owner? So there's a lot of reasons to transact when you decide to transact. And you have to take some of the emotion out of the deal, which is hard to do because you built it. So I'd say get a good advisor. Be realistic about the price that you want and the terms that you want. And when you commit to doing a sale, whatever it comes out to, if it's reasonable, take the transaction. Oh, wow. I love that you don't even think about it. When you hear about exit, we just get a high from just hearing the figures. Exactly. Just a paragraph, that right? Saying, yeah, just the, just the how much something sold for you're like, wow, that's what I want to do. But I hear so many moving parts to this, the idea that you have to be decided that you definitely want to sell. Pete, for you, from when you're starting up, got to take you back a little bit. You're trying to make decisions. You're not really sure which way to go. How do you navigate that in the beginning? How did you do it in your early days? So there's a class that they don't teach at Harvard Business School that they should. It should be called when it's okay to fail. As a first-time entrepreneur, I thought that the company was a extended version of myself and I needed to keep that company alive. You know, this was right after September 11th where no one in the US was investing in any startups and every 2 weeks I took money from my personal account and moved it into my business account to cover payroll. I had servers that were in a AT&T data farm. I ran a software company for the fitness industry after I left the private equity group down in Boca Raton. I moved to Arizona and I needed to keep the servers on. And you, it wasn't Amazon Web Services or you know Comcast data. You'd have to pay $10,000 a month to keep your servers on to keep the internet going. So after all the money ran out and I couldn't raise money, I started getting these pre-approved credit cards in the mail. And each one of them, when they came in, had a $10,000 limit so I can keep the servers on for another six months if you get six new credit cards. And then at one point, uh, our largest customer was Gold's Gym. And they said, you know, we want you to only work with us and not any other health clubs. And I said, I can't do that because I've got another thousand health clubs that we manage the software for. So they left. And when they left, that was my time to realize, okay, this business model, it's ahead of its time. It was, it was a great idea. It would be a great business now, but it was too early. So I think entrepreneurs need to understand when you start a company, it's like going back to chemistry class. And I'm colorblind, but if you remember like the litmus paper that you'd put over a chemical solutions and it would turn like pink or purple or magenta. I don't know what magenta is, but someone told me it was magenta. If you're doing a startup, like, okay, I raised $500,000 for my friends and family to get from point A to point B. If I don't get to point B, don't raise money to get from point B to point C because you're still on, on A, right? So everything needs to be viewed as an experiment. What's happened over time is people have forgotten what venture capital series rounds mean. You probably know most of this, but for the audience, the first money you take in is seed capital. And that seed capital is basically from people that you know from your family or your friends, which... If you're a starting entrepreneur, that's basically the only people that will give you money, right? Because they want to help you and they love you. They're basically saying, 
you know, Priscilla, you're starting up a new business. I trust you. We've been friends since high school or elementary school. You know, I'll put $10,000 or $25,000 because you're not going to go to some venture capital firm. And they're going to say, you know, what'd you do before? And nothing, obviously, because I just got out of school, right? So you want my resume? I, I played high school sports. Is that enough for you? So your friends and family round is like, hey, Priscilla wants to take her around with this experiment. I'll help her out. If it works, great. If it doesn't, I know that it was, I was trying to help her. Then you get a series A round, which is basically an institutional capital partner that says, there's something here that you've experimented with that's interesting. And I'm going to help you try and build it in from a product and an idea into a business. And then if you prove out that there's a business, then you get a series B, which is basically like your experiment A, experiment B, right? Experiment B, I'm going to fund experiment B, which is I'm going to build a team. And then series C is now we're going to blow it up and we're going to market it to everyone because it works. So when you get a series A, B, C, D, E, E, F round, that's all basically funding evolutions of your experiment. And then you get to become a big company. I think entrepreneurs need to understand that you have to focus on what the special sauce is of your company and optimize that. If you're running a a health club or you're running a studio, as an example, if you can't make $2,000 per day in a retail-based studio, it's hard to make a lot of money of something that can be scaled. If you're running a software company and you're charging $10 a month for a software widget, you have to get a lot of clients in order to create a business that has $5 million of annual recurring revenue. So you need to understand what you're building. A lot of companies get started because people have great ideas, but they're not solving a frustration. You know, Every good idea is basically solving something that someone can't solve on their own. So Dave and I are part of this company called uh, Prospect Wizard. You know, if I want to engage with people that are coming onto my website that obviously got to my website and want to change their life and get a health club membership, I want to be able to talk to them as soon as possible. So there's like that little help button on the bottom of the chat where that's solving a frustration for a health club operator that instead of waiting for someone to fill out a survey and then hoping that they come and they give you their cell number and then hopefully that they're going to pick up the phone when they don't recognize the phone number or they have it blocked, that's a frustration that that health club can't execute on that relationship real time. So that widget, as we'll call it, Prospect Wizard, is basically taking away a frustration from the person that wants to change their life and talk to someone about it and the health club that wants to get a new member. So that is a widget that is a business, as an example. So every business should be a frustration that's being solved by technology, by programming, or by experiences. You said so much in there that I think the audience that is listening is going to get a lot from this. I Maybe I should slow down. That. They can re-listen. If okay, they can re- re- okay, rewind. We're going to give again. everyone 30 seconds, rewind, and unwind what I said. Thank you. Because I think in the beginning, like you said, so many great ideas out there, and especially when it's you coming up with the idea, of course you think it's great, but really putting it to that test of, is it solving a, a frustration? Pete, you've told me a little bit about how you were using your credit card to kind of fund the next phase and the next phase just to keep things going. After you realized how this was not sustainable, like how did you get over that? Because I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs, we get excited, we're starting something, we think this is the thing that's going to change our lives and then it doesn't. So it's interesting because in job interviews now, a lot of employers ask this question, you know, what's your biggest failure? Or what's the biggest hurdle that you've gone through? And if you read a lot of books or listen to audiobooks is what I do, you find out that a lot of people get jobs because of failures that they've experienced 
because the companies like a Google or a Microsoft, they want people that have learned lessons. And those lessons of failure are some of the best lessons that you can have versus the people that have had Midas success. You know, they might have been at the right place at the right time, but tell me how you got out of a rabbit hole or tell me how you decided to pull the plug on something. Because that's really where your integrity comes in. That's really where you understand somebody's judgment and that they have a realistic view of what can work and what can't work. In the software industry, as an example today, software is like a wet painting, okay? It's never done. You can always continue to release new versions. Now, if you're running a software company and you tell your clients that you're going to release more and more of what they're asking for on new technology development, they might say, I'll wait until you finish that and then come back to me. So you don't really want to tell people what's going to be happening in the future because that costs more money and you lose the sale. When it comes to failure and pulling the plug on that business, the exit ramp that I took was that our largest customer, client, Gold's Gym, said, I'm not staying on with your company because I'm going to do my own internal web development. So they made that same decision at the same time that I was tapped out on my credit cards. So those two things happening at the same time was like, okay, the universe or spirits, or God is telling me like, okay, we're done. We're moving out of the desert in Phoenix, Arizona, and we are packing our bags, and we're moving back to New York City, and we're going to become a banker again. So having packed up my bags and moving back to banking, now I had a completely different perspective on what it takes to run a business. You know, When you go to Harvard Business School, or you work in a big bank, I'm sure entrepreneurs are going to appreciate this comment here. When you put into a Microsoft Excel model that I'm going to grow my monthly revenue by 10% a month, and I'm going to cut my costs by 30%, and here's what the numbers come out to be, that looks really good in a financial model. But now I have to hire people. I have to train them. I have to get contracts sold. I have to support the software. I have to have 24-7 support. I have to make sure my bank is going to give me money because people don't pay on time. There's all these things that are not in the Microsoft Excel sheet that have to happen in order to execute on those results. So when I went back to banking, and someone says, oh, this company's going to grow at 30% a year. I'm like, trust me, it's not going to happen because I tried that and it doesn't work that way. You hire a salesperson, they bring in zero revenue for six months, okay? And you don't have any salespeople, so you're not going to make any revenue for the next five months. Being an entrepreneur and in the weeds gives you a completely different perspective on what is realistic about how to grow. And if you're running a small business, like a lot of your entrepreneurs here, you don't have the financial resources to hire somebody for $120,000 or $150,000 to be a chief marketing officer. I can't hire a $200,000 CFO. So I have to bootstrap my way to get past the milestone in order to go raise money or to say, you know what? I've got a nice business. I'm just going to make the most money I can, enjoy my life, and maybe success is defined differently than trying to build a huge business. The one thing that COVID, and even before COVID, we were talking about with my team at Integrity Square is what's your personal scorecard look like? You know, if you've made the most money you've ever made in your business, but your relationships have suffered, your health has suffered, you haven't gone to your kids' little league game, your partner and you don't go out to dinner anymore because you're on conference calls nonstop and you come home and you take a nap. Like you have to redefine what success means and success 
is a balancing act of who you want to be as a person. You know, I know that there's a, a religious background here in faith, but Henry David Thoreau, because I'm a quote guy, you know, said, the smallest seed of faith is better than the largest fruit of happiness. So you think that I'm going to work as hard as I can to achieve this success, and then I'm going to be spiritual, or then I'm going to give back to my community. And what you realize is you can't put things on hold in your life because they will never come back. So you have to weave your success through and understand my business is going well, but I'm not going to grow it and be in Australia and open up an office in the UK because the rest of my life suffers, right? So I might have more revenue, but I have worse relationship. I don't practice my faith or I don't meditate or I don't go to the gym. So everything's a trade-off. So I think redefining what success means to me over the last several years has probably been the most important enlightening event. Our time is almost up and thank you so much. But Pete, I can't let you go without asking, what is the number one book or resource that you would recommend for an early entrepreneur? So Dave and I, over the last year and a half, have been putting together our book, which is basically a culmination of all the books that I've read and all of our experiences at Integrity Square, working with entrepreneurs. And it's called Time to Win Again. And it's 52 takeaways from team sports to ensure your business success. It's timetowinagain.com. It's kind of a business book of good to great meets Where's Waldo? Or I think, you know, Where's Wally is the other version of, you know, a pictorial book that has takeaways. That's a book that we've put together. And yeah, I do a lot of reading on Malcolm Gladwell's books. I hope everyone would want to get a copy of the Time to Win Again because it's a very easy read and it'll change your perspective on how you run your business and treat your business as if you're running a professional sports team. I think people will get a lot out of it. Uh, Thank you for that. Pete, since you said you're a quote guy, give us your favorite quote. Eleanor Roosevelt said, if you lose faith, you lose all. So you got to believe in yourself. You got to keep the faith. And if you do that, you'll persevere. But if you give up, you give up everything. If you're in a car, everyone knows how fast you're going in a car. If you're in a plane, you know how fast you're going on a plane. You're on a planet that's moving 66,000 miles an hour around a sun that's 95 million miles away. Okay? So have faith in yourself that you are grounded on this planet and you can do whatever you want and choose your decisions wisely, enjoy the ride, and do great things. Thank you so much for that, Pete. And thank you so much for your time, Dave and Pete. Thank you so much. And to the audience, please go to www.halotalks.com. Where are you most active online if people wanted to connect with you? You can reach us at Pete at IntegritySQ.com. We respond to all emails. Halotalks.com, Haloacademy.com is our business school. And then TimeToWinAgain.com is our book. And Dave manages everything on our social media side. And you know, we're here to be a resource to help people create businesses that are going to solve loneliness, obesity, and happiness. And once we solve those three small issues on our planet, this will be a better place to live. For more information, freebies, and clips from various episodes, please go to our website, www.reinventingperspectives.com. Thank you so much for your time. We absolutely value your time. And even more, we value your feedback. Don't forget to leave us a review. Thank you so much and see you again next week.